0: Is this the, the blend? This
1: is probably the blend the Pomona. We've been pulling that all week.
0: Is that a newer blend?
1: Yeah, that's um so I put that together. So we got, we got, um, it's a 70, 30, um, a Misty Valley Acacia blend. Or uh, it's uh, Ethiopia Misty Valley, 70% and 30% of the uh, Costa Rica and and Okay, yeah
0: uh, Yeah. Th- I thought it was new because I didn't remember seeing it last time I was here.
1: Yeah, that's probably been out for like two weeks. So. Okay. Yeah, but ke- maybe not here for two weeks. It's been in Southside for two-ish weeks. So.
0: Okay. I keep telling Savannah, uh, or I often ask her about that random, uh, uh, y'all had the Hairbender blend? I th- our Hairbender at one point, and she had had a, an unknown lo- uh, coffee in it. And it was exceptional, and she could never uh, figure uh, out. You what... T- th-
1: you mean storyteller? Storyteller. Yeah, storyteller. Hairbender is stuffed out, but they can't take their credit. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, that one, um, I remember when uh, having a brain fart. When you get close to 30, you have more brain farts, I've noticed. I understand that, yeah. <laughs> All right, forget that. So get this uh, started. Cool. Rob here, we're at Coterie with uh, Sean Marshall, hey. owner of Fusion Beans, Southside Espresso and uh, Coterie. Mm-hmm. Um, first time sitting down having a conversation with you. I'm happy to do it. I'm yeah. excited to hear your perspective. Um, start off the same with everyone. How did you get into coffee? Uh, so, uh,
1: man, making me reach way back. Uh, so, uh, my first coffee job was at Starbucks as many, many baristas, you know, first coffee job in the area are, I worked at Starbucks for four years. A lot of fun stories there about how kind of, I uh, came to be aware of like spe- of specialty coffee, you know, past Starbucks specialty coffee. Um, but all that to say, uh, when I really got into, you know, the, the guarding knowledge about, you know, farming processes and you know, varieties of coffee and things like that was when I met um, was when I met Ken Palmer through at the time it was Texas Java. Um, we were going to find a, uh, a photographer for a wedding, uh, me, my wife, and I, and at the bridal extravaganza and uh, Texas Java Company. Uh, was purely a, a catering company then, espresso bar catering, and uh, Richard Colt was set up there uh, and pulling shots, and I went over and said, oh man, this is really cool, you know, like, <laughs> I've worked on one of these machines before, because that was back when Starbucks had the, the lineas in their shops. Oh, and, yeah, wow. So that was, what year is this? This was uh, 2002, maybe? Yeah, 2002, that sounds right. And um, So anyway, it was one of the last shops to still have those old old machines and there uh, was some friends with at the time and anyway so when we went to this uh went to this you know bridal bridal show he was there pulling shots and trying to get business and i was up there trying to get a job so um so yeah. anyway eventually he he gave me a call back you know he he said well you, you have you made you know have you made coffee on uh, on a kind of a manual style machine before i said you know sure have yeah i worked at starbucks for years He's like, well, why should I hire you and not somebody else? I told him straight up, I'm a best person to <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, not just a little bit arrogant at the time. So uh, Anyway, so, I, yeah, I told he him. You sold yourself. I, yeah, I said, yeah, I sold myself. That's exactly right. I, uh, I told him Told him I was the best person in Houston. Well, at that interview, he brought along Ken. Uh, and Ken um, had been in the industry forever, and he... He kind of has an interesting story about how he ended up in Houston. It was not on purpose, Uh, but uh, Ken Palmer learned from Alfred Pete of Pete's Coffee and Tea. Uh, Alfred's revered as the grandfather of modern specialty coffee in America, so I was sitting there answering Richard's questions as he was going through the interview process, and Ken was sitting there listening to me answer everything like a quiz, And, and Ken turns to me and says, you know, Sean, you sound like you know a lot about coffee. I said yes, sir. So you know, I want to compete brisk competitions, and I want to start my own shop, and I want to roast coffee and blah, all this kind of stuff. And he said, well, that's cool. He said, do you know, who Alfred Pete is. I said, yes, sir, I sure do. And I thought it was another test question. You know, <laughs> grandfather managed to you coffee in America. He started Pete's Coffee and Tea. You know, blah blah. I gave him the gave him the deets that he already knew. And he said, oh yeah, that's that's right. And he taught me how to roast coffee. <laughs> <So> I was <laughs> like, oh shit. Um, so you know, I, I I finally shut up and listened. And uh, so anyway, I followed Ken around for quite some time. Um, helping him set up at consulting gigs for cuppings and things like this so I did anything I could I could help him do uh, so Ken and I were you know I I, I, I wouldn't separate myself from him uh, and he tolerated me for you know better, the better part of four years before he told me hey man what are you doing just go buy a go buy a roaster and do something with your life you know like alright cool so and all the while I'm going to college trying to figure out what I'm going to do and um, thinking well I'll go do this or that you know I went to nursing school and Maybe I'll be a nurse. And, really? Yeah. Yeah. I went did, to, did you know that's? I, I did. Yeah. As a matter <laughs> of fact, yeah. I, I uh, yeah I went all the way through nursing school um, and made a D in pharmacology, so they suspended me for a month and or for a semester rather, and uh, and I decided, well, maybe maybe nursing's not the thing. But so I went to school for business, for international business, and because uh, I thought coffee broking that would have helped with with getting a coffee broking job, and I thought maybe maybe working an American and. Uh, then I was like, No, that's not. That's not. You know, advisor told me that's not what you need. You need an economics degree. Okay, cool. I'll go get an economics degree, and all the while thinking, Well, I'll go. You know, do a job for a little while. That's kind of like coffee, in proximity to coffee. But then I'll go start a coffee shop. You know, because I've been noodling on this idea since I worked at Starbucks. I've opened a coffee shop and building that community and um, had a lot of different inspirational things go into that. And uh, anyway, finally, uh, you know. I don't know. I don't know who was it, who it was that finally convinced me. Whether it was my wife or Max or Catalina or whomever, but you know, I, I was working at Catalina at the time, and uh, I was roasting coffee out of my garage. I bought a little two, uh, two uh, barrel Pinhãoense sample roaster from Brazil, and uh, I was roasting like less than a pound at a time. Working two jobs and going to school, um, I worked at Tiny Boxwoods, Catalina Coffee. <laughs> um, and I uh, was going to give age. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm working so hard to try to do this coffee thing and, you know, not able to focus on it. If I'm going to do it. I need to just do it. So uh, I got out of school and focused on roasting and um, set up at, you know, set up at farmer's markets where I could. And uh, I already had my first wholesale account, which was one of my jobs, a Tiny Boxwood. So Tiny Boxwood was my very first wholesale account while I was working there. <laughs> Roasted. You know, I'd go open the shop, I'd work a, work a 10-hour shift, I'd go home, I'd crack open a beer, and I'd start roasting for like four or five hours, uh, and go to bed and wake up and open the shop again in the morning with the coffee I roasted the night before. So it was uh, it was not a uh, life I would suggest to live, uh, mm-hmm. but it was the one I loved at the time. And, and really, at the time, it was it was pretty great, you know? And then I'd, I had weekend shifts at Catalina, and so I'd, I'd double up roasting most days so that I'd have extra for the weekend for Chinese, and then I'd go... Over to you know Catalina on the weekends and work, and uh, for about two years, I just all I did was just grind, you know, no pun intended there, but uh, just just grind it out. Just just I mean, I tried to sell coffee to whoever would buy it from me, and I tried to learn as much as I could about about anything. You know, still I was still just gobbling up information, going to trade shows, and um, you know, at the time, you know, David and and, and me and and. Max and uh, and uh, Matt Toomey, we're all a little bit closer, I think, because uh, surprisingly we were less busy then than we are now. So um, you know, so it was kind of cool because we got to we got to kind of you know knock burrs off each other and really you know get a little bit sharper um, when it came to you know our knowledge. I, I think we thought we knew everything then, and I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure we thought we knew everything then. Uh, all of us and uh, as we probably think we know everything now but uh, you know as you go along you start figuring out well no that was dumb. we we were saying we were saying stuff we were making things up you know like we were making stuff up but uh, you know we made it up until we figured it out for real so um, it was a lot of fun those two years were maybe the most fun time I've had in coffee other other times have also been fun but those were it was like it was discovery you know it was new and exciting it was it yeah it was it was we were we were in the frontier for coffee here in Houston because it just didn't really exist outside of us, you know, so um, it was fun.
0: That's really neat. Uh, I always consider um, David, Max, you, Matt Toomey, I call y'all's uh, shops the Mount Rushmore, or I call y'all <laughs> guys the Mount Rushmore of Houston coffee. That's Y'all, y'all kind of... Y'all helped get it started. It's an awfully nice
1: compliment. I appreciate uh, that.
0: That's pretty cool. I didn't realize how uh, more closer y'all were in the uh, initial specialty coffee uh, phase of Houston. Oh,
1: yeah, man. I miss those guys terribly. I, you know, like, we don't get to see each other at all. You know, da- David's dramatically more busy than, than me. And, and, you know, Matt, I think, you know, uh, has, uh, yeah he got busy with, with both jobs, too. I mean, it just... The more you tack on the more the less time you have and you know. I text and call those guys every every once in a while and we try to get together and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but um most of the time we see each other at each other's shops, you know? Yeah. If we catch if we catch one another. Or at, we're at a trade show, you know. I I typically tell Max, I'm like, Man, we gotta get out of the damn country to see each other. We end up in Guatemala at the same time every year, it seems like, you know, so uh <laughs> I'm just like fine. I'll just meet you in Guatemala, man. We'll go to we'll go to cafe no say or something, hmm. drink, you know. So, you
0: worked for Starbucks for four years, you said. Mm-hmm. When you first started at Starbucks, were you already like into coffee before then, or was it once you started working there, you started to realize this is something I could see myself
1: doing? It was definitely uh, not something I saw myself doing. Uh, as a career before Starbucks, but shortly thereafter, I mean, I fell in love with the environment that the cafe there in, in Friendswood produced. Um, my boss was wasn't the greatest. She, you know, nobody really, nobody really liked her. She was not in it for the love of the game, as it were. Um, but uh, but the crew there was, I mean, I could I could I could talk about all the crews that I've worked with over the years how good they were but that first screw you know for 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 just getting into the coffee game it was so much fun and the fact that we were working on those old lineas too was really a lot of fun too it kind of it let me play uh, on on a technical side you know because nobody in that shop knew how to fix anything well my dad you know among the other jobs that he did he was an electrician you know and uh, he also helped uh, he, he worked at NASA back when electricians could work at NASA and uh, you know so he taught me how to use a multimeter and all that so when that old 20 year old machine you know started you know sparking and stuff i'd get in there and i'd tinker around and try to figure out and i could at least troubleshoot it to the part that was broken so that was um that was a lot of fun and so besides just you know getting into the little bits of information that starbucks would give you you know there was there was that machine and so i'd start looking up technical manuals and you know um you know i'd kind of try to I tried to teach myself how to how to fix that old machine or at least when the when the tech got there to fix it i could tell him okay well i did this and this and you know i found i found the part that was i think is out you know he said okay and he checked my work and you know i was right 80 percent of the time which was cool you know um but there was and i don't know if it was you know somatic i don't know if it was uh, you know in my head but you know back in the day when they had the old kind of blue pearly bags at starbucks The Guatemala Antigua they had had a stamp on it that had these little, like, peony flowers on it. And um, I went to grind a bag, one of my first bags of coffee I ground for a customer. And, you know, I had no no concept of, like, different flavors in coffees necessarily. I I knew about different rose rose profiles, but, you know, I didn't know, like, you could taste flowers in coffee. But I ground that coffee, and I swear to God, I smelled peonies. And... uh, and I think that first little experience was like, oh man, like there's there's way more in this than I thought, you know. So, um, so whether or not I smelled that for real, uh, it was it was stuck in my head that there was more to coffee than just, you know, just just uh, you know oily dark beans. So, <laughs> um, so it was probably about six months in the first the first job that I had at Starbucks. Yeah.
0: Okay. So. Um, so you were working a couple jobs. You were at Tiny's and Catalina. Yep. Um, and going to school and you said at a certain point you decided um, with encouragement from others, I'm gonna start my own thing. Yeah. Um, you were doing fusion beans at the market, it was fusion beans already at the time when you were at the farmer's markets, is that right?
1: Correct, yeah, so fusion beans officially started when I bought that sample roaster in, in uh, the summer of 2007. So I think that was June of 2007 that that little roaster landed and I started roasting coffee out of the out of the garage and uh, how'd you come up with that name so fusion you know you know I a lot of people think well like oh fusion cuisine or hot cuisine because at the time that was really hip you know uh, but really it was more of a it was um, I kind of took that from uh, a couple of old books that I read about coffee houses there's a you know there's the William Euker's book I think uh, called All About Coffee and then there's another book I forget the author's name called uh, uh, The Penny University's A History of the Coffee Houses and uh, both of those were like written in like the 30s you know so it's like the history of coffee houses you know written from a kind of an older perspective you know that sounds interesting so and reading those books you know it talks about the inception of coffee houses in Europe and in you know in the Middle East and, and even in the States and it talks about coffee houses being uh, revolutionary, which you know, we can we can get into the details of that, but um, and the and the, the way that coffee houses became revolutionary is because uh, for all their quirks, the coffee houses at the time and and, and, and in my opinion until now are a place where uh, you see all strata of demographics that come together in public. You know, so at the time it was it was all men, but it was all strata of social uh, uh, social demographics. So you had you know like you had the white wig you know judges and uh, kind of you know uh, politicians of the time come together with the blacksmiths and the in the lower class folks, uh, and everybody paid their penny and they got in. They got access to chocolate and periodicals and they got to listen to the the you know. Whoever's lecturing that day, and they got coffee, and uh, all that to say, it was this fusion of ideas and um, and perspectives that made what it, you know that made the space beautiful, made the space uh, grow, and kind of fused this um, uh, amalgam of of ideas and, and thoughts into one big ball. Uh, that generally uh, sparked some sort of revolution, you know, and you can you can mark that historically either at, you know for the French Revolution at Cafe Precope and Cafe Foy, you know you can mark that at you know the Green Dragon for the American Revolution. You can you know see popes that either loved uh, and de- it loved and, and glorified coffee or demonized it for its uh, social aspects and said it was the cu- cup of the devil, the devil's cup, you know. Um, so uh, it was. From its inception, not just coffee but coffee houses, it was this um, dangerous fusion of of ideas and concepts that came together in a space that made it uh, more than just what's in the cup. And so that was fusion means. So, um, anyway, that was nice. that was that old. That was that that was back in the day. Uh, that was kind of my thought process for the name. So.
0: No, that's cool. I'm glad to know the story behind it now. So how did you go from uh, roasting at the farmers markets to
1: opening Southside? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> so like I said, I worked you know worked for Max at Catalina Coffee for almost four years. Um, one of my favorite 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 coffee shops. I mean, just just not just for its quality and for Max's you know integrity, but uh, it was always just it always felt like home. Um, still feels like home. Um, but you know, I worked there for a while, and uh Max and I actually roasted out of the same facility for some some time you know i i uh, I set up my little sample roaster next to him at uh his you know first little warehouse here on the east end and uh <laughs> I don't know if he would like to tell this story or not, but he lived in that warehouse uh you know for a time um and so I'd go over there and we'd roast and and uh you know, uh, we had a great time hanging out together. You know, I—I I, at least I did. I, I felt like I had a had a a buddy in the industry you could you know, we could talk shit about coffee with. You know, it was just you know, <laughs> th- there's there's something that's invaluable to uh, having somebody who can kind of jive with you on um, the aspects of the thing that you're passionate about. You know, and so. Uh, Anyway, all that to say, though, uh, when you when you're trying to build a roasting company out of, out of somebody's work, you know, uh, and you're sharing space with somebody who's also trying to build a roasting company, it can get precarious. I mean, like, we knew, we all we both had the same idea of like, you know, rising tide raises all ships, and we didn't, we weren't in really competition with one another, you know, like, um, but I felt I felt like at a certain point, you know. I needed to get out of his hair and he needed to get out of mine so we could grow businesses instead of just it being just, you know, something we do after work, you know. So uh, I eventually left Catalina uh, on very good terms with Max, you know, but I told him, hey man, don't try to grow fusion beans. I don't want to be in your hair while I'm doing it. So, you know, best of luck. We still roasted together for a little bit, but I went and found my own facility. You know, he got his own facility after that, but we probably spent two years of that time that I was with Catalina together in the same facility or, you know, in different moves like he would come pull his roaster over to my, my facility for a while and roast, you know, and, um, so anyway, it was, it was a good, it was a good kind of partnership in that way. But, um, I finally gave him my, my two weeks notice and, um, you know, I was focused on growing fusion beans and, um, And about six months after I quit at Catalina, uh, Max gave me a call. He's like, hey, man, i um, got these guys that want someone to build a coffee shop. And uh, they want to find somebody who's experienced. And, you know, they came to me first because I've got a reputation in town. But I told them I didn't, I didn't want to build it, you know, that they need to come talk to you. So it happened to be the guys who own the property that Southside's in now. Um, it was the, it was the uh, crew from Uchi actually that was interviewing me and it was uh, you know, Tyson Cole, the head chef there uh, from Uchi, that was kind of making the decision because he wanted to pick who was gonna be next to them. They wanted to have a similar setup that they do in Austin uh, where Uchi, uh, Austin is next to Houndstooth.
0: Oh, is it it originally from
1: Austin? Yeah, yeah, Uchi's from Austin, yeah. So they had a, you know, they had a strip center that, you know, Uchi Co. was their very first spot, and uh, it was in a little house, Uh, but Uchi Austin was the first kind of concept that they were building out for this, like, national platform. Houston was the first large-scale, high-volume version of that, so they wanted to have a similar setup on the property, and so, uh, anyway, so... I went over there and uh, met with them and, you know, tried to, again, tried to sell myself, you know, like, uh, they, they were saying, hey, you tell us tell about yourself, tell us about your experience of coffee, and I kind of gave, the, gave them the rap sheet, and, you know, competed in roast competitions a little bit, and roasted coffee, and worked at these shops, and I said, okay, well, you know, you know why, would, why should we pick you and not somebody else? I said, well, you know, I'm going to do a better job than anybody else in the city. Right now, I was like, you know, you contact the Max first. He would have done a better job than me because he's done it before. But right now, I'm I'm the only guy here that's gonna do the best job at this thing. And uh, you know, I was like, here's the quality I'm gonna do, blah blah. And as I was speaking, Tyson spoke up. He said, like, Okay, okay, okay. Uh, how are you gonna make money? I was like, I don't know. I'm gonna sell a lot of coffee. You know, I'm, <laughs> I we're gonna sell a lot of coffee. That's how we're gonna make money. He's like, All right, that sounds good. This guy's good. <laughs> so, so he didn't care. He's just like, you know, you gotta pay the rent cool. You're going to do a good job. Cool. You got it. You know, so, um, so that was it, man. It was, that was in, uh, like 2011, you know, early 2011 that, uh, they got a hold of me about that. So I went and, you know, I started quickly spinning up, you know, contacts for SBA loans and found one. And, uh, you know, by the skin of my teeth and the grace of God, I got an SBA loan, you know, like it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a pretty quick, Process, but that's how we got into it. So, um, and I already had, you know, like countless notebooks where I drew drew out like potential layouts and machines I wanted and lists. I mean, I already had a business plan written basically, so I was able to just like go through it at this guy, you know. And uh, he's like, "Man, you wrote a 40-page business plan for a coffee shop." So, I've had a long time to think about it, man. You know, I don't I don't say you know like I was ready for I was ready ready for action, you know. So that, that was de Espresso, man. Uh, and I had that name for a long, long time. I don't know why uh, I landed on it so early, but Southside Espresso. I remember telling Max at the bar at Catalina when we were working one morning. He's like, "Man, when are you gonna go open your own coffee shop?" And this was like two years prior to all this happening with Southside. It's like I don't know, man. You know, I'm just trying to plan it out and I'm trying to find the right space. And he's like, "He's like, what are you gonna name it?" It's Southside Espresso. He's like. Damn it, that's a cool name. Like, like I'm like it's a really simple name. He's like, yeah, but it's really cool. He's like Southside, this is Houston, blah blah. blah. So like, I think that was the day day that Southside got its name when I was working Catalina and Max approved. So I was like, all right, that's what I'm gonna name it. That's it. So uh, anyway,
0: that's awesome. Um, What were some of the challenges of opening a coffee shop?
1: Ooh, um, all, all things you might expect. I mean, getting, getting. Financial backing for a coffee shop and you've never opened it before is precarious and hard. And, um, you know, I, you know, An SBA loan is definitely the way to go, but getting one, especially now, is kinda difficult. Um, Do you have you, to sell yourself
0: pretty hard? You gotta sell yourself
1: pretty hard. You gotta have a good credit score or somebody with a good credit score that'll sign on with you. Mm. Uh, my wife, thankfully, was responsible with her credit. Mine wasn't bad, but you basically got a bulletproof credit score and some other, for, like some other source of income uh, you know, that, you know, a banker will say, you know, like, how are you going to live while you, how are you going to live while you open this business? You know, well, my wife was a nurse at the time, so that was how we were living at the time. And, uh, so, um, you know, he, he, he took a chance on us. I think he was really surprised too that we even found him. Um, and you know, he kept asking us like, how did you find my contact information?" We're like, "We found it online somehow, man. Like, we, you know." But it was like, it, it was like we he sh- we shouldn't have been able to find him or something. You know, like, like, like he kept asking, you know, "Who, who sent you over here? Like, who, who knows me? Who gave me my info?" You know, like, and um, anyway, we didn't know anybody. You know, we just looked up SBA lenders online. You know, like so I found his information somehow. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, that whole thing, kind of approving yourself to a banker, it's, you know, it's up to them. It's up to that lender whether or not they're going to give you a loan, you know. Um, you have to meet some certain criteria, but even if you meet that criteria, it's still kind of up to them. So, um, which is, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we operate on a system like that, but it's, that, I mean, that's how it operates. I and mean, that's exactly how it operates. So, uh, but then past that, I mean, just the execution of everything, you know, learning about city permitting and learning about you know uh, the ins and outs of exactly what's needed I mean in that little 600 square foot shop you know less than that it's 559 square feet from wall to wall and uh, I uh, didn't know we needed and still to this day I'm surprised by it didn't know we needed a sprinkler system there Um, and really in most spaces you wouldn't need a sprinkler system but we were tied to Uchi and so that kind of like muddied the waters about exactly the way that had to get done. And so they ran sprinklers in there. Okay, great. Well, I go to open and the very last you know inspection, we have the fire marshal come through, one of the very last inspections, oh, well, you've got this box around your AC unit here. Yeah, because they made me do it because health department. Oh, well, because you put that box, you've got to put a sprinkler underneath that box because this sprayer head over here and this sprayer head over here, which maybe are 20 feet apart, uh, won't spray underneath this and somebody could burn like like die from fire underneath this box And I'm going are you fucking kidding me? Like are you kidding me? I, I was in tears I mean like because like it the process up in that point was grueling enough and I was like I had no money left no no fucking money. I mean like we were burnt too crisp and um,
0: No pun intended.
1: Yeah, that's it man. And so like uh, And so but that fire marshal wasn't having it it's another fifteen hundred bucks to have somebody come out and drop a, a, a spray head underneath that you know, underneath that uh, HVAC unit in the in the shop. And so even to this day, I'm like, oh, oh, that's the safest spot right there. I'll tell people like, stand right there, you won't burn to death. Like, <laughs> just like, ah, like I'm still bitter about it. But you know, we got through it. We got it. We got it open. It's just like little bitty nitpicky things like that until the very bloody end. Just like, just all the way to the end. And the day my contractor called me at like 10 and said, hey, I got your CO, I got your certificate. I ran to, I don't know why it was Target that I went to, uh, but I went to Target maybe cause I needed like one, uh, something other like home goods, something. Uh, but I went to Target, I got like like six gallons of milk, like because I didn't think we were going to be opening that day. I went past the bank. I got the last $320 out of the bank account that we had, stuck it in the register so we had cash, and um, we opened. I tweeted and Facebook, everybody, come buy coffee. I'm like, please, please come buy coffee. You know what I mean? Like, but, yeah, it was our last bit of cash that was in the bank. But I stuck in the till, and, like, we were open. That was it. What year was this? This was in 2012. This was October 26, 2012.
0: So it took a year, uh, about a year to open?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it took uh, a yeah, solid year from, from getting funding to, like, you know, because, I mean, it was January or February of uh, 2011 that I sat down with those guys um, from Uchi, and they ended up opening an, an exactly a year later from when I met with them. So it was, like, February of 2012, and I opened in October. So it was really, like, a year and a half for me um, between, you know, starting and and opening, um, and that's, I mean, even, you know, it's hard to open a place, but even, like, uh, you know, even when it's difficult, it shouldn't really take that long, it felt like, it felt like we hit other snags we shouldn't have, you know, like, Coterie took a lot less longer than that, it was, Coterie, Coterie was difficult and it took us eight months, so, you know, from start to finish, but.
0: Not bad compared to yeah. some shops in town. Uh, I've heard of taking a you know five years a couple would come. Oh, to my yeah! Mind. <laughs> oh yeah!
1: Yeah yeah! For sure! Yeah, there's I mean there's been spaces that people have been you know planning on a space for a while and just they hit all sorts of snags. But yeah, from from f- funding getting in the bank account to you know to open it was probably you know fourteen months. Yeah. Not
0: bad. Yeah. Uh, so um, you had been roasting. S- uh, f- as far as roasting for a shop you were roasting for tiny boxwoods you had experience with that um, now you have your own shop um, what were some of the, the challenges uh, of that of
1: roasting for your own coffee shop now well initially you know I was I was working damn near all the hours you know and um, you know I had the 5 kilo pro bat by that time for, for quite some time so um and I think at the time, yeah, at the time I had moved my roaster back to the house, and so for the first six months of sausage being open, uh, I had my probat in the garage of the house. <clears throat> so at very least, I could go home from shift and roast. I didn't have to go somewhere else. I could go home. And uh, but yeah, kind of just long long hours, you know, and. It was my first experience with payroll and having employees, so there was that, you know, dynamic where you know you when you want to keep spirits up, you want to let, make, help everybody feel good about what's going on, and make sure you tell them you're appreciative of the work that they're doing, even though you're just you're 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 completely exhausted, you know, you're um, you're spent in all sorts of ways, mentally, and emotionally, and financially, so you don't want to lie to anybody and tell them oh we're fine but like you don't want anybody to feel that same stress that you're feeling you don't want to have them have them carry the we have five dollars in the bank account after payroll feeling you know like you've got to you got to keep spirits up because that's how you that's how you get people to you know when they're able to focus on their job and focus on customers you know that keeps people coming back so you don't really think about that consciously but you, you do think about it you know and um so you know uh long hours and and being scared that you're gonna completely tank the thing after working so hard to get it open and all this kind of stuff it's um, that stress was heavy and uh, coupled with I mean at the time we opened in October and uh, I mean several months later we had you know my my family and I had one of the biggest tragedies I've ever experienced in my life Um, and so working through that was uh, painful and um so yeah man it was you know like that's the other thing too life doesn't stop just because you open a business you know like it it continues you know and uh and it certainly continued for for us you know so you gotta you gotta be you gotta be here for it despite everything else and sometimes that's just not possible sometimes it is and i i survived because of my the people around me and my the good staff and like friends in the industry that supported me and supported us. And I um, feel very fortunate to have the, the friends and family that's around me because it wouldn't have worked out otherwise I would have just crumbled. Um, I damn near did. <laughs> but, you know.
0: Running a business is no joke. My, my dad, he runs his own business, and I, I've seen it uh, my entire life. Yeah. Uh, so I respect anyone who <laughs> operates their own business. Yeah. Um, how far in to uh running south side did you hand off the torch to somebody else to roast cuz at some point mm. you're like okay I can't do this forever
1: right uh so my very first apprentice was was Ashley um, and uh you know when I hired her She's a, she's, she works for Max now. She's a, uh, a, a Maya now. Um, oh, that, that Yeah, you. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she, she got, she hired on with me very early on. She was one of my first employees. Um, and it was her and Savannah and Bonnie and Kelly, my sister, and um, Aisha and, um, they were a great crew, and there was a couple other people: Jamie Campos, um, John Searcy was there at the very beginning. Just a couple others, but um, Ashley from the very get-go said that she wanted to learn. You know, she wanted to learn how to roast coffee. You know, I said, "All right, you know, well, right now I'm doing all the roasting. You know, so but once we get busy enough and things get settled down, you know." I'll I'll teach you how to do that. We can we can get you on the roaster. So, um, well, a year went by, at least a year, maybe more more like a year and a half. And I could tell she was getting frustrated because I hasn't I hadn't yet uh, put her on the <laughs> roaster. And uh, she even mentioned you know being offered a job uh, somewhere else to to maybe go learn how to roast. And I said, well look we get you on the roaster like now, said so would you would you stay? She's like, I want a roast for you, Sean. So I want to work here, you know. So all right, well, I don't really have the money to do it, but let's do it, you know. Like I, you know, we'll we'll figure it out, you know. So I I got her uh, on the sample roaster because I wanted to learn the way that, learn the way that I did, you know. And so we met on the patio and just sample roasted her asses off, you know, like um, sample roast, sample roast, sample roast. So we roasted as many little batches of coffee as we could because i was trying to help her develop her sensory skills in order to roast a little bit analog because the, the pro the probat that i have the five kilo while it is bigger it is still uh, an analog roaster it's there's no digital components to it at all or certainly there wasn't then um, i added some little upgrades since then but uh but you know when you're roasting you know you you got you could control flame height you're controlling your your temperature and your t- your time that you're spending uh but Really, you're grading things by what you see and what you smell. So um, so she got on that separate roaster for several months and I said, all right, well, let's get you on the big roaster, you know? So I threw her on it, you know, she she learned with me on the big roaster. And, and finally, after maybe four months of being on the big roaster with me, you know, I, I stepped completely away from roasting and let her have it. And um, the coffee never tasted better. She, she you know, Ashley uh, is, I commonly say, she's one of the most meticulous uh, detour to people I, I know, Savannah is very similar in that way, and so they, you know, they were, they were different from me. They were my, my balance, I think. While I, I do pay attention, and I feel like I, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the roaster, and I'm, I'm there for it. It's much more of a, uh, it's much more of a, of a dance for me, and I kind of feel a lot of things that are happening smell a lot of things that are happening but they are numbers driven and they're 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 you know they're following profiles that are exact and so it was good because we got to balance each other a little bit And so when i talked about it smells and it tastes and it looks this way you know she made sure to say okay it smells and it tastes and looks this way at these intervals you know and so we made each other better she was um you know i commonly say that ashley was a better roaster than me by the time that she took over um i still think that you know um savannah too you know um so they really they took ownership of it um i was very proud of actually the whole time she worked for us and when she and when she put in her notice you know it was tearful you know um she she didn't leave she didn't leave because uh she didn't love us she left because you know amaya was a more consistent job and a bigger roaster at the time you know still is um, so I was proud of her, you know, uh, still very proud of her. So.
0: Um, you're one of the few shops around that uses coffee from Yemen. Can you talk a little bit how you developed that relationship with them?
1: Uh, so that relationship is developed because I started it. Um, I built that mill in Yemen. Um, I'm one of the, one of the owners uh, and founders of uh, Red Tree Trading Company and Ray Ann Mill and Rand Mill is the name of the mill in country and the company in country and and Red Tree Trading Company is the U.S. uh, side that owns that mill. Kind of the structure of that business is set up that way because of the way Yemen requires it to be set up. But but yeah, so, uh, (laughs) uh, also part of my coffee story, you know, I mean, the way I met Andy was in a coffee shop and Andy is my uh, mill manager and guy on the ground he's he's operations for ray and mill um but he had lived in the um in the gulf area over there for quite some time uh learning arabic and he had lived in yemen specifically uh to learn arabic because he was you know because that's you know if you're able to learn in yemen that's considered kind of the the original dialect you know it's the proper dialect of of arabic and um You know, so he he wanted to learn how to speak it. So he's there for two years, became fluent, and uh, came back because I think his wife got pregnant. So they had their third child here in the states. And while while he was here, we met, and uh, he was looking for a way to go back and work or help uh, because he saw. uh, I mean, he saw the need. I mean, you know, Yemen is, without a doubt, you know one of if not the poorest country at the time uh, in you know the eastern side of the world and uh and even more so now uh but uh so he wanted to go back and help and his his whole i guess dynamic is all kind of paradigm is you know creating peaceful uh relationships through economic stability you know Um, So he's he's like, you know, if we can go back and start a business and bring money into the country, you know, that, you know, even in small regard that garners relationships between Americans and, you know, and Yemenis, and, you know, then it's not just all terrorism that happens in the Middle East, it's, you know, to to somebody here in the States, it's, oh yeah, but also there's this other good thing happening, you know, so, because all we hear about on the news about anywhere in the Middle East is war and terrorism and uh, awful stuff, you know, Um, when really it's not all that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, and, and it's unrealistic to think that. So that was his thought. So anyway, I, I said, well, you know, you want to go back to Yemen, why not do coffee? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, Yemeni's Yemeni, Yemeni coffee is one of the most famous coffees in the world, uh, or was at some time, you know, it's where coffee was originally, you know, agriculturally propagated and, and distributed over the world, you know, it was born in Ethiopia and, brought to Yemen and agriculture populated in Yemen and you know when you see the old uh, is it Maxwell House or Farmer's Brothers you know uh, logo with the with the you know the sheik and the long robe pouring coffee that's a Yemeni you know uh, that's a Yemeni man you know so Farmer's Brothers has that that old logo that's on their cans it's a tall Yemeni man with a you know with a wrap on his head and a long uh, kind of a a long robe and he's pouring coffee out of these one of these old long nosed coffee pots that's a Yemeni man um, and so anyway so Yemen you know Yemen for both Ken my mentor and for just coffee in general held a held a kind of strong uh, place in, in in his heart and in mine and so I said well you know if you want to start something in Yemen with coffee I said you know jokingly I said you could br- you could bring back you know some direct trade co- coffee for me and I'll roast it on my garage, again, at the time, roasting it on my garage, it was a joke. But he thought about that for a couple of weeks. He came back and said, you know, if we were gonna do something with coffee in mean, Yemen, how would it have to work? I said, oh well, it would have to be a substantial amount of coffee. He's like, well, could you buy it all? I was like, no, 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 we're not talking about that. We're talking about like container loads, you know, like for it to even be a feasible concept, you know, we're talking about volume here. And I, I, had no, I had no frame of reference for exactly how to set something up like this, but I did know people who, who did. You know, we got in contact with as many people as we could to get information over the next several years. And I taught Andy how to cup coffee. Um, And so, you know, prior to this, he had no experience with specialty coffee (laughs) prior to meeting me, you know. So for two and a half years, I trained him on cupping coffee, tasting coffee, coffee agriculture, uh, anything that I knew. We we dug into learning about, you know, setting up a dry mill, you know, and how that happens um, and so you know through Ken's context and people I'd met at origin the few people i would met at origin I jotted down brands of equipment and you know um, setups and I've mapped out setups and mills and we got a hold of a few companies uh, who sold mill equipment one of them was uh, based in or the office in Scotland but the operations were in India Uh, to build this stuff. So they they sent a guy over once we decided on the company that we wanted to kind of talk with us and set up the mill, and then they sent the equipment. Um, And this was, like, in 2011, 2012. Um, And we got the mill operating. Our first season was, uh, you know, 2011, 2012 um, season. So, like, October through... January of 2011, 2012. Um, and so I had Yemeni Coffee in Southside as one of my first coffees when we opened. Um, and that year we sold, I think, like half a container of coffee. You know, it was not a profitable year. But, uh, you know, before, before all that, we went to every trade show, we passed out samples uh, as much as we could. We, you know, uh, were trying to get small roasters interested in, in uh, purchasing our coffee. Um, the next several years we focused on small roasters in in the same way by uh, we did set up a booth one year at uh, SCA and helped you know hosted a big cupping Um, we rented you know cupping rooms and uh, so that's how we marketed ourselves for several years Uh, but then we started getting a hold of brokers who were interested in buying bigger swaths of coffee so um, so now you know miraculously I mean we're you know this past year, we you know we sold um, several containers of coffee. Um, and one of our one of our customers was Nespresso, as a matter of fact. They bought our seconds. Uh, which which N- Nespresso? Oh, okay. Yeah, they so they bought all our second grade stuff for like a, a project they were doing with uh, kind of a Yemeni Ethiopian blend. Um, so in addition to all the all the specialty roasters we sell to in the states and the brokers that we sell to, you know. Uh, that are specialty brokers in you know Europe and Japan and the States. You know we sold the Nespresso as well. So that was you know that's how it's developed over the last several years. So you know strangely even despite the, you know, the civil war and everything's happening over there right now in Yemen, uh, we had our we had our best year. I think mainly because nobody else is buying coffee, so we were able to get as much coffee out as we could. You know um, so.
0: As best you can, could you give me a one-liner as to. What role the coffee shop plays from seed to cup?
1: Well, the coffee shop is the stage for the barista. and The barista is the last hand that touches the coffee before the consumer gets it. So they convey, they convey the story uh, in all its, in all its, you know, gravity. And they can either convey it well, or they can convey it poorly. And uh, when you teach the barista to tell the story, um, all the work that goes into that coffee gets credit where credit is due. So you know that's that's why the our our blend is called Storyteller. You know because the barista is the storyteller.
0: It's really cool learning the meaning behind all the names. I love the in- intentionality and the thought behind it. I, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, what are a couple shops? it Doesn't have to be in the Houston area or roasters. Uh, let's say pick two yeah, okay. that you look that you admire and what you uh, admire or respect about uh, those roasters or coffee shops. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, well, one in Houston, definitely Catalina Coffee. I'm sure it's been mentioned before, but I think I think people miss Catalina uh, f- for the new shops you know um, you'll have a great experience when you go there. I respect max implicitly. He's one of my good friends, but he's also just he's somebody that I respect for his you know uh, for his integrity, his work and uh, and for having me on for so long you know um, Another shop that I really like. Uh, really, really like still to this day, and, and their roaster too is in Portland, Hart um, Coffee Roasters. I would say that if I modeled my roasting style after anybody, at least initially, it was Hart. Um, I do like a, a Scandinavian style roast profile, and uh, they roast off a bigger probiotic than me, but I tried to kind of mimic some of the things that they did, um, and I, I dig. I dig their whole their whole style, their aesthetic, and and you know, I would love to I would love to be a little bit closer to like them one of these days. Whenever we get to be a big boy shop, you know. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Hart's really cool. We had we actually had uh, uh, the accountant from Hart come into town. They were just flying through town for some some something, and then the folks at the roastery at Hart told told them, like, well, if you go anywhere, you got to go southside, which was a huge compliment to me. Um, I, you know, I don't know a lot of those, I don't know those guys personally, um, I just, you know, I just, uh, I love their coffee, so, anyway, so that was, uh, that was a big compliment, I think, and that was just, like, last week, it was re- really cool.
0: That's awesome that uh, y'all were on their radar, like, the... Yeah, I, I had no
1: idea that, I mean, like, you know, I know people, I know it's a small community, and so, like, I know people know about us, but that, the fact that they... Set us over, you know green, any of the Greenway shops or anybody else you know Max or whatever was a big compliment because we're just we're tiny shops so um, um do you have uh, Stratas in both shops I can't see behind the sign I do yeah so I've got the um, I've got the Strata e, uh, uh, EP at uh, Southside and I've got the Strata ABR uh, Auto ratio uh, machine at Coterie and um both are great machines. The EP uh, allows for individual pressure profiling, um, and it's got some programmability there, so you can save pressure profiles. And uh, the the ABR uh, focuses on volume and ratio output. So um, both are fun. Uh, I, I like I like both. Uh, I feel like the EP does not get utilized. Uh, as it was originally designed you know yeah i was gonna Um, ask it's it's we do use it and the versus play around with it a lot play around with different profiles and stuff but as it turns uh, pressure profiling well it doesn't make a difference Uh, it doesn't make as big a difference um, i don't think as they originally intended it to make you can definitely uh, manipulate a profile and make it taste good but the profile that tastes the best looks like a bell curve and as it turns the profile you know a belco profile profile is what uh, you know a machine with a with a regular soda with a regular you know pressure pump will will put out typically now you can change that top line from like nine bars to eight and a half or eight um, and you can extend it out a little bit make the profile longer or shorter Um, and that that typically will soften a harsher shot or whatever and so an astute knowledgeable barista will know how to manipulate that but typically we run two profiles we run a blend profile and a single origin profile Um, unless there's some very specific uh, guest coffee we're we're brewing.
0: Um, Did you work on the Strata when you worked at Catalina is that what Max
1: had back then? No Uh, back then Max had uh, the Fiamma Fiamma, uh, E61 Legend uh, that old school kind of metal machine, it was the barista burner, man. You touched anything on there, you just scald yourself. But uh, it was fun because before pressure profiling became a thing, we were pressure profiling on that machine because the way that it was set up, they had a lever that you'd pull up to activate the pump, but you could pull the lever up just so that it would open the valve to allow water through. And um, and then you uh, you tur- turn it all the way on and turn the pump on. and so. We were sort of quasi-pressure profiling, at least like giving an initial bloom to the to the puck and uh, letting water kind of drip through it and then we ramp it up. Uh, so you, you kind of, you had this uh, pre-infusion action happening before even the Synchra had a uh, pre-infusion notch uh, for Seneso. And then the second machine that he got was the Seneso Synchra. Um, and he bought that used off of a guy in New Mexico and uh, we, we worked on it, descaled it, and make sure made sure it was like whistle clean before we had installed it in the shop. But uh, the Synchro was a fun machine. After that, and then after I left, I think he got the uh, EE Strata. Um, you know what? No, there was an internal machine. I think he had a I think he had a, a EE Linea before he got the EE Strata. Um, but anyway, yeah. So the last machine I worked on there was the Synchro, I think. Okay. Yeah.
0: How long has this shop, Coterie, been open now?
1: We've been open since uh, November 5th, 2018, so I guess we're seven months old now. Okay. Yeah, so. June? Yes, June? Yeah, it's June. <laughs> yeah So, how,
0: how did this space come about?
1: So, um, you know, we were looking to open a second location somewhere. Um, I was kind of looking for different spots. Um, we thought we might open one on the east end. We had a, an opportunity over there that ended up kind of fizzling out. Um, I was kind of looking for a space to open a shop uh, with my roastery in it, because I wanted to move the roastery into town, and um, anyway, that didn't end up working out, but I did get this opportunity, uh, this real estate uh, person here reached out to me, and um, I, I really wanted to also build a space with a kitchen, because... One of the things that I really want to do at Southside that I still haven't been able to execute on completely is is focus on pairing you know food with coffee, very specifically, and so um, we're doing some of that here now. We're we're going to start doing some of that at Southside, but it, the the pastries and uh, some different happy hour plates are going to be put together specifically to pair with coffee, and not just fl- flavor wise, but sort of. Ex- ex- as an experience. So for example, you know, um, there's a typical Guadal- or typical uh, Costa Rican breakfast. Um, uh, you know, it's gal pinto with like, you know, plantains, fried plantains and uh, some fruit and some like queso fresco and um, and bread. And uh, that particular breakfast is something I ate every morning with Diego Diego in Costa Rica, uh, Hacienda Sonora. And so I'm drinking his coffee, and eating his breakfast, and it's kind of this visceral memory that I have put those things together. Um, and then you know, there's there's a there's a, you know a Guatemalan style of tamale uh, that they make. It's kind of a little bit wider. It's wrapped in banana leaves. The masa is a little coarser. There's different meats that they use. Um, I'm just going to put that on a Happy Hour menu and have like uh, Guyo beer, which is like their like Lone Star, and uh, and a shot of like. Uh, guatemala coffee um and that particular little setup is something that you know i had in guatemala so that that kind of stuff is something i want to do both here and at Southside side in, and in various uh, methods so um, having a kitchen here has been integral to helping kind of start that so this space came about from the opportunity that the that the building uh, gave us but um, that idea of building some space with either a kitchen or having my roastery in the space was always Cut kind of something I wanted to do. So uh, this was a really good opportunity when it came up.
0: Did yeah. you get a lot of say in the build out of this space?
1: I did, yeah, yeah, I did. I, um, you know, we built this space out, you know, l- like it is um, not just to be a coffee shop, uh, but, but I mean, an all day cafe uh, with everything available, you know, beer, wine, coffee, tea, uh, food, very kind of australian in nature i've I've had a lot of aussies come in and say man man, it's like cafes at home you get something all day long get anything you want you know like and that's kind of the idea is that you know we can be open early to late and you can get an espresso at midnight if you want you know or you know you can get a i guess guess you get a beer at eight in the morning if you want to so but it's it's all available it's all there so
0: what's chris paul's favorite drink
1: chris paul's Um, drink man i'm not sure uh Chris Paul
0: train. I had a friend who was here a while back, and he said uh, that uh, he saw Chris Paul roll through, um, or ordering something. Um, So figured I'd ask.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, We, we get a couple. We get a couple notable folks roll through. I mean. I think James Harden still lives in the building during the season too. He hasn't been in yet, but we do carry his favorite tequila, um, so just in, just in case. Um, in case you're listening, James. That's right. That's right. Hey, come through. We got your tequila, man. Uh, uh, go ahead. No, that's you know. So it's 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 a fun spot to be in. They they didn't always have this frosting on the windows between us and the lobby, so we'd see everybody walk through that was here and um, saw J- James walking out in his you know sweats, ready to go practice, you know time and again. I think they built the half court that's up on the fourth floor just for him. They got a half court basketball court <laughs> up there. Like, you know, and I'm sure like people use it, but he's up there a lot. So uh, it's funny. It's a, it's an interesting spot. It's, it's a far cry from Southside. I mean, it's a different vibe for sure. And so that kind of upper demographic or higher demographic or whatever you would call it down here is something that I'm getting used to uh, owner wise, you know, because I think people expect me to come in, and I'm like wearing a sport coat. And I will from time from time and again, but I'm all, you know wearing flip flops and shorts today, so you know like I don't think that they quite expected me when they got me here. So, <laughs> but we're getting we're getting some good customers in here. the the, the crowd's starting to really warm up. So nice.
0: Yeah. I, I want to cap this off yeah. with a a question. Um, what is coffee
1: to you, <sighs> man? Uh coffee's my whole life. You know, it's um it's a it's my identity, it's and it's it's my family, you know, like more than anything. I I joke and say that oh I started a coffee shop because I wanted friends, you know, like uh but it's not too far from the truth. <laughs> um you know, I, I don't really, you know, I'm not a big sports guy. I You know, I'm not into, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a, a fanboy of any one particular kind of music, you know, like I get into a lot of different things, but the thing that I love and that I'm good at and that I do and that I did for the longest amount of time uh, was coffee, you know, since since I got the job, I mean, before I guess before Starbucks, I actually had a Barista job at Espresso Exchange in Clear Lake, which doesn't exist anymore. It wasn't really a Barista job, it was a dishwashing job. And again, I helped fix the machines, but like from that time on it was like I love the cafe and I love the environment that it creates. And when you're there for a while, uh, those people become your family. So and then past that, you know, um, you know your family members start to extend to people like Diego, my Costa Rican coffee farmer, and Jose Morales, my Guatemalan coffee farmer, and you know, um, you know Musaid and his and his father Muhammad Ridman, who were my you know one of my single farmers from uh, from Yemen, my individual farmers from Yemen. Those people become your family, you know. They're you're their story extends to you and you, you tell their story not because you know, necessarily you're trying to sell, sell a cup. You tell their story because you love them and you want to be able to buy their coffee again. And you want to support them because they're your family now. They're people that have children and lives and you want to help continue to bring those people in. So uh, coffee, coffee, is, coffee is my family. The people that are around it, they're my family.
0: Sean, uh Really appreciate sitting down with you. Um, this was our first time getting together, and I really enjoyed hearing the intentionality and the stories behind the names, and I can feel your love for coffee, and I'm uh, just really thankful uh, to sit down uh, sit down here with you. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate the opportunity, man.